and chair of prayer of praise. Oh, no, testimony of grace, not prayer of praise. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Um, I have to say, I feel like in the last year, the Lord has taken me through a little bit of a course correction in gratitude. Um, Last spring and summer, which I know was in the midst of COVID and a little crazy, but I felt the Lord just welling up in me, this overwhelming sense of gratitude in my life. Um, And it was, he was gracious enough to let me see so many good gifts that he had just given to me and my spouse and our kids who were growing rapidly. And I had a great job and great friends and we're at this church that focuses on the word. And anyway, I just felt him... um, just, yeah, growing this sense of gratitude in me in ways I had never really felt before, which was awesome until he began to correct me and show me that really my focus was on the gifts, just like Mary had been talking about. And so while I was pouring out my gratitude to him, it was gratitude for the gifts, and I was stopping short 
of moving into worship to the giver of the gifts. Um, and so a few months into this, um, basically just some weird things started happening. The Lord started showing me that I was more focused on the gifts than the giver. Um, just little frustrations started to creep in my life. Um, I joke that I can sometimes be negative Nancy uh, and just can pick apart the negative in lots of different things. And gratefully, I went away for a weekend with a couple of friends um, and was just kind of like, honestly, vomiting all this mess that I was so frustrated about. And um, they were like, okay, is this a sense of control you're losing? Is this all these sort of things? And I was like, no, I really feel like I've been grateful to the Lord for all these you know, blessings in my life and basically justifying my negative Nancy attitude toward them. And um, anyway, I came away from that time realizing, okay, like I had let these small thorns in my flesh or things that were great turn into small thorns in my flesh and that then I was turning around and complaining about them. So anyway, I just... I'm so grateful that the Lord has now shown me that. And now I've actually taken a spot, um, kind of like Mary was talking about, in the back of my journal, I have a list where I've written like, who is God? And so um, as I'm reading through scripture every day, I will, I don't add to this list every day, but I will see a certain scripture that talks about a quality of God. And I try to write down that scripture reference So then when I go back and I'm trying to remember, okay, I know God is sovereign. Obviously, you can Google all this stuff now too. Um, But it's just great for me to have a personal reference where I have gone back and recognized that. Um, So I would just encourage you guys to do that. If you don't have a place where you write down references in scripture and even situations in your life where the Lord has shown you that he is sovereign, where he has shown you that he is gracious, where he has shown you that he is just, to make those just personal notes in your journal so it's just a great refresher, not only for yourself, but also for you to be able to share in the lives of others. Um, So these friends that were kind of pulling things out of me last summer, um, I kind of became frustrated with them, and they knew it. I mean, I was, it was a very free conversation. And, um, But the Lord brought me around to just be thankful for them even becoming thorns in my flesh, that they would not let things go. When I was like getting frustrated about certain things, they'd be like, look, that is not you and that is not right. And you're not focused on the Lord. And so anyway, I just am also grateful for the church as a whole, the UBC, obviously, but uh, these two particular friends are members of actually... Both are members of different local churches here in town. And um, just the role that the church and the local church plays in providing people who are supposed to steer us back to the Lord. And um, I think he gives us those people in our lives, other believers who can have perspective that we can't see at the time. So I would just encourage you to be grateful to the Lord for those people he places in your life who are maybe calling you out, even though it's not fun. Be grateful for the people who are willing to point you back to truth. Um, It is such a gift and something that maybe we don't want to hear, but we know that that is 
that's what the Lord has given to us in the gift of the body, in the body of the church. Um, so the second thing, well, the third thing I would say is that true gratitude springs from a soil that is built out of trust, joy, and humility. And Mary kind of uh, touched on some of these things. But really, if we don't trust the Lord, and if we're not choosing to trust in the Lord and his sovereignty in all circumstances, how are we going to be grateful for whatever it is that he's leading us to or leading us through? And even seeing um, just his holiness and his sovereignty and his love in everything that he allows in our lives. So um, that it's, it's critical, like Mary said last night, that if, if we don't have an attitude of gratitude, so cheesy sounding, um, if we don't let thankfulness and gratitude overflow in our lives, that that should basically make us question, okay, what are, what's the soil that our roots are in? Are we trusting in the Lord? Are we choosing joy? Are we really willing to be humble and give the Lord all the credit. So um, anyway, those would just be my encouragements to you guys to just step back and think about the um, how are you giving gratitude and uh, do you need a little course correction like I did about not just being grateful for the gifts, but shifting our focus to the giver of those gifts and um, just keep track of that in a little notebook. And it just is great to look back on and to even be grateful for those friends who are maybe pushing you and becoming thorns in your side and asking you the hard questions and be that for someone else. Like that is what the Lord has, that is a role the Lord has given you as a believer is to be that person who helps push each other toward the Lord and toward focus on him in all things. And thank you for coming to speak. We've enjoyed it. Yeah. We praise God for his work of grace in your life, Tamara, and thanks for sharing that with us. Um, So now we have a 10-minute break as we transition to small groups. So feel free to grab some coffee and tea in the lobby or some snacks on your way. And do thank Bear, our brother, who has been brewing coffee like a storm. So I don't know if he can hear us that we're clapping for him, but do thank him. So he's giving his weekend so we can be caffeinated. We can be very thankful for that. Um, So I did want to let you know, if you would like for Mary to sign your book, I have these sticky notes up here. You can just write your name on a sticky note and leave your book on this front row, and she can get it signed during our breaks. Um, Also, I wanted to draw your attention to our schedule, because we won't gather back here until our next session, which is at 1.30. So right now, we're going to go to small groups. We'll start those in 10 minutes. Um, We'll have lunch at... 11.45. That'll be back in here. It's Rick's Bakery. So we have fresh berry salads and club sandwiches. And you marked on your registration what you wanted. So don't switch. Or you might be taking someone else's lunch. If you have dietary restrictions, um, those will be on the pink table in the back. So look for if you have a special request. Those will be there. Um, And then following lunch, we will have a time for personal reflection Um, So we'll have an hour to eat together, 11.45 to 12.45, and then we'd love for y'all to just spread out. Could be in here, could be back in your small group rooms. Those buildings are all open. 
You could sit outside. It might be a little chilly, but you're welcome to do that. Um, But on page 16 in your program, we have just some ideas for how to use that time. Um, So it's just time for you to spend with the Lord um, and would love for you all to get to enjoy that. Those are just ideas. You don't have to do all of them in your time for the rule followers among us. Um, And so with that, we can just be dismissed to small groups. that to us but but as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in the United States of America we are more marginalized more now than we ever have been we observe with both amazement and horror as the sexual revolution just marches on we watch how a narcissistic and blatantly pagan worldview surrounds us it just seems to be everywhere and we watch the outright rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ it's just rampant Now, I don't know about you, but some days I have the very um, sinful notion that it would just be fun to just pull up the covers and just go back to sleep. Like, I have the gift of sleep. When I want to go to sleep, I just go to sleep. It's great. Husband doesn't have that gift. Mother doesn't have that gift. Son doesn't have that gift. But I do, and I know it could go away at any one time. But not to be too personal, but if I ever had to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I would be so irritated because, like... I'm sleeping now. That's what I do. Nothing wakes me up. I sleep all night long. It's, it's great. So sometimes I just want to pull up those covers and just fantasize about going back to sleep and being awakened by the trumpet of the Lord sounding that time shall be no more. And I get ready with a great big fat I told you so to all of those people out there who are seeking to do things as they see it with their own eyes as we watched happen time and time again in scripture. And That's a very unbiblical attitude. Don't need to think that way, but I will admit to you that it is sometimes tempting to just say, Lord, just please come quickly and deliver us from all of this. There are other tendencies sometimes to just want to retreat, to just whatever it is you've heard, it's the latest kind of crazy that just puts you over the top. Like, I just can't even believe that people are saying this now. You somewhat want to just gather up all your cookies and your kids and whatever and just go off somewhere and just continue to seek to do the Lord's will and to follow what he's given us to do, but to just get away from it all. Well, that's clearly unbiblical too. We're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So that's not an option. So, so we know what our option is. We know what our mandate is, that we are to soberly, soberly let yet gladly, we are to live the life assigned to us, knowing that the Lord is at work and that each and every one of us has a specific assignment that the Lord is going to use to advance the gospel to his glory, and he is at work. So so intellectually, we know that. We read our Bibles. We know that that's what we're supposed to be doing, and it just seems to be getting harder and harder to, to live that out. 
part of the sense of urgency may be that, that I'm a Grammy now, which is like the greatest title ever. I'm just telling you, those of you who are not there yet that are getting close, who have married children or whatever, you may think it's overblown that people say that, and you're like, yeah, yeah, but I'm telling you, it's not overblown. It's fantastic. It's so wonderful. And um, so part of it is, is the fact that I'm in a different stage of life now. My husband is in his 60s, and he's proud to talk about that a lot. I don't know why he talks about it so much, but he's been talking for years now about how he's almost 60, or you know, he's rounding up, and then he's gotten to where he'll talk about we are almost 60, and he's rounding us up. And it's like, wait a second, I'm not there yet. I'm certainly not there now. So I'm getting really close. But you know, anyway, we aren't in our 60s yet. But at any rate, there's just this keen awareness that there's just so much at stake. And that we just really do have this small slice of time when we get to walk this earth and be salt and light. And we can't take any of it for granted. Sometimes it's the seemingly little things that, that I want to just continue to speak into the lives of younger women, just kind of fearing that this is just going to go away. So some of them are littler than, smaller than others. They're somewhat pet peeves, like I went off on the eat with your family thing. Like, just please, please, people, don't stop doing that. Don't, don't have your family so involved in 15 different things that you aren't ever home that you, don't, that you don't see your children daily, that you have to have somebody on some website giving you conversation starters for your own kids. Like, don't do that. Spend quality time with your children as you are seeking to, to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know that on paper, but like, please put your phones away and just talk to your kids. Sometimes it swings to more of an angst when I think about what my grandchildren are going to be dealing with. So these grandchildren are no longer these little fictional, someday if I live long enough to have grandchildren, they're now real flesh and blood, adorable little people that I am picturing. And I mean, my oldest is now going to kindergarten in the fall already. So, so, so the things that those kids are going to have to face, uh, it it's cause, causes great need for fervent prayer as, as we seek for them along with their parents to, to grow up to be soldiers of Christ in truth arrayed, as our seminary hymn says so so poignantly. I, I heard of a child that is just in, the, in a part of the country, not, not on one of the coasts, not on one of the left coast or the east coast, but just in the, in the breadbasket here. It's in Missouri, actually, where this happened, where a, a child went to school with a friend and at the end of the school year came and everybody kind of scatters and he says goodbye to this friend of his, a guy. And when school starts back in the third grade, that same child is now dressing like a girl, wants to be called a girl's name and wants to use the girl's bathroom in the third grade. And so those parents are now faced with dealing with sitting down with this eight-year-old kid and having to have discussions that I never had to have as an eight-year-old child nor the parent of an eight-year-old child. And, and, and this isn't going to go away. Like you now would have to sit down with a child like that and, and have to explain that now we're, we're what we call cisgender because we affirm the gender that you were born with. But there are people who, who will put down transgender because they don't affirm the gender that they were born with and they're transitioning to the other gender. And it's like these kids know nothing about the facts of life. They're eight years old, but they're being forced to have to, to talk about this somehow. Sometimes it's, it's more angry tears that just well up in me sometimes as I hear about some latest Hollywood idol who's on social media sounding off with such vitriol and hatred about my Lord and Savior and just the, the careless words that are used and all about her autonomy and her right to kill her unborn baby because she's who she is and, and she's in charge and she curses the name of my Lord and 
Now, I know that one day she will be in anguish if she does not repent, that there is justice that, that, that will happen if she does not bow her knee to King Jesus. But it's just living in this society where there's just so much of that, it come, becomes more and more challenging. So there is an urgency as we live out these days. And what do we do as we seek to, to follow the Lord's leading? We open up his word. And so I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at, at one verse, but I want to put it into context. And I've been studying 1 Corinthians this year. Some years I do the Bible reading plan where you're reading through the Bible, and that's very, very productive and helpful, and every Christian should be doing that at some point, and, and most years I do that. But this year I'm doing a slow study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Table Talk magazine, if any of you are reading Table Talk, it's going through that as well. And, and so this is just a different pace of study, and, and it's, it gives you an opportunity to dig deeper into the book. So, of course, this is also written by the Apostle Paul. It's written in about 55, 56 AD. He's writing this on his third missionary journey. So he's writing this from Ephesus. He's already written Galatians in the first missionary journey and First and Second Thessalonians on the second one. And so he has written another letter to the church at Corinth that we don't have because he references it here in 1 Corinthians. Now, we don't have it because we aren't supposed to have it and we don't need it, so we're not missing it. But I'm just here for emphasis to say he, he's taken a lot of, of pen to paper to, to address the church at Corinth. And that the reason for this is because he, he planted this church with the help of Priscilla and Aquila. We could look at Acts 18.8 and 1811, where it talks about how many people at Corinth believed and were baptized. We know that he stayed there for 18 months teaching the word of God to the people there in Corinth. So he's invested a lot in these people. And now he's hearing that there are problems, and these are not minor issues. There are lots of big problems that are cropping up in this fledgling church. Now, it's to our advantage that this is in the ancient world, because today he would he would fly over there or he would, you know, Zoom with the church leaders or whatever, but obviously none of that can happen. It's an eight-day trip by sea to get from Ephesus to Corinth, so it would be a huge investment of time. So instead, he is writing letters to this church, and we have the benefit of reading these letters, you know, 2,000 years later as they have been carefully preserved for us. And so I think we need to as we look at these verses, we need to just, again, praise the Lord for the fact that we do have this word and that it is still relevant and applicable and it is still the guidebook to which we look for, for life and practice. So, so here we are in 1 Corinthians. And so he does his usual greetings and many of those in the other epistles are ones that we memorize and pray back to the Lord. And, but we see in, in 1 Corinthians, it starts off pretty quickly that there are divisions in this church. He says in, in 111, it has been reported to me. So people are getting back to him and somewhat running to Paul and saying, you won't believe this. Now this is happening. Now this is happening. Um, he says, he talks in, verse, in chapter 2 about how when he came to them, he did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech, but he came to them with Christ and Christ crucified. We get to chapter 5, and he starts getting to some of the issues about it is actually reported that there's sexual immorality amongst you. In verse 9 there, he refers to the letter that he wrote to them that we don't have. Then he says, I am writing to you now, and gives instructions about sexual immorality and how to flee that and to, to drive that out of their midst. And then in chapter 7, he's going to address issues related to marriage. Starts out saying, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So people are writing to him, and he is communicating back about this whole issue of marriage that has become an issue there in Corinth. 
So he gets to verse 17, and this is the target verse that we're looking at, but I didn't want to just pick it up out of, out of context, but I want to put it back in context and look at it a little bit further. He comes to somewhat of a conclusion here when he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to her, the life to which God, that to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So this is not just to Corinth. This is to all the churches. This is his rule that he is saying, just lead the life the Lord has assigned to you. So, so what does this mean to us in, in 2021? He's, he is, let's talk about, first of all, what he is not saying. So he is not saying that you should not get married if you are single. We do know he has an opinion on that. Paul himself was celibate, and he believes there is a lot to be said about being celibate. So he, he definitely plays a lot of that out here in the book of 1 Corinthians. He is certainly not saying that you live the life assigned to you if you're living as a prostitute right now, that you keep on prostituting. Clearly, that would um, contradict other places in Scripture right here in this very letter, and we know that Scripture does not contradict itself. He's not denying the possibility that our circumstances could change, but John Calvin interpreted this verse, I think, in a very helpful way. To ask the question, are our impulses driving us such that we are confused by constant restlessness? And that's really gets, I think, to the crux of what he's addressing here with these people in Corinth and with us today. Like, are we just constantly restless about what we're doing? Uh, and, and that gets us off the job of what the Lord has called us to do. A much more modern pastor and author, Alistair Begg, said this about verse 17. He said, we should be a Christian where we are. He said, God has assigned you a place with work that only you can do. People place barriers and pressure you to be like someone else, and the challenge is to retain your place. Be a Christian where you are with zeal and effective desires. So if we were to look at another uh, passage from another letter to this to the church of Philippi, this one is a much more familiar verse to you, I'm assuming, in, verse, in chapter 1 and verse 6 of what we call the joy epistle in, in Philippians. Here Paul is much happier with the church at Philippi. He's writing them from prison a few years later in 60 to 62. And this is where he says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So I want to kind of put those two together and talk about leading the life the Lord has assigned to us, knowing that he who began good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Do we believe these words carry the same weight for us as they did to the people in the churches of Philippi and Corinth? Do we believe that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ? Now, let's remember that the good work that he began has absolutely nothing to do with us. He began it when he picked us up out of the pit and saved us. And this is something we can't overemphasize. It's to, it comes into to topic after topic because it's so true. And in that great epistle to the church at Ephesus, where he was when he was writing to the church at Corinth, in chapter 2 we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is not of your own works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were dead, ladies. We had no way to save ourselves, but God, when we were still sinners, saved us. Maybe you've heard the illustration given. I won't say who gives it, but it's, it's out there of how there's this kind of sweet little story of how they're, we're, you know, we're bobbing along in the water and we realize that we can't save ourselves. And here comes the Jesus lifeboat into the, into the mix and there's Jesus, and he's got these life preservers that he's going to throw out, you know, with a line on there. And so he throws it out. We're, we're bobbing in the water, but we're able to grab onto one of those, and he reels us in. And so between Jesus and Jesus throwing it out and us holding on and pulling it in, it's kind of a team effort, and we're now back on the ship. Well, that, that might be a sweet story for some people of how, how, the, how justification takes place, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we were dead. We weren't bobbing along in the water. We were dead on the bottom of the ocean, completely unable to save ourselves. But God, rich in mercy, reached out and saved us, and we never, ever get over the miracle of that. We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. Okay, that's our job now as redeemed, resuscitated, justified in the process of sanctified Christians, we're to walk in them. So this assignment we have that Paul carefully identifies as a calling is, is what we want to consider in the next few minutes here. And I want us to look at the calling that we have from, from multiple perspectives. We won't spend much time on any one of these perspectives. Again, like last night, some of them you may think, well, that's I would never have included that as a perspective, but you know, who can get my little mind and figure out why I pick what I pick? But here's here's when I when I think of this and I think about when speaking to women, like what is the what is the assignment? Some things we have in common, some things are very unique to us. So let's talk first about, about the chronological perspective. We we all have that in common. Okay, we were all born either in the 20th or the 21st century here, no exceptions to that. I don't think I've met anyone who kind of moans and, and is sad about the fact that, that we don't live in the first century, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but every single time I read about all those sacrifices and all that blood, I, it just it makes me queasy, and I'm just grateful that we no longer have to have any of that sacrificial system. Not to mention, just to not be graphic, just the general lack of hygiene issues, of things that they did not have in the first century, praise God, that we live now when we do. There, there may be some who kind of, especially now, start thinking like maybe in the 18th century, it was just a simpler life. They weren't dealing with eight-year-olds changing their genders. I mean, none of this was happening. But that's not when the Lord called us to walk the face of this earth. And it is very intentional that each one of us has been called in this particular chronological spectrum. We don't know how long it's going to be but we're here right now in the 21st century, and, and we need to rejoice in that. Then there's the geographical perspective. So, so I'm from Kentucky right now, and you guys are here in Arkansas, so we're basically from the, the central part of the United States, but um, there's lots of other places where we could be waking up today. My ancestors going back are from, you know, like Germany and Scotland, and I've, I've actually visited both of those places. They're lovely places, but I don't want to live there. I don't know that language. 
uh, in Germany, that is. And um, so I'm always just glad to get back to this country. It's by clearly not a nation that that is under God in terms of following his leadership, as we could hope that it is, but it's home, and we are blessed with so many things here. And I try to remember that I could be waking up living the life the Lord has called me to live. I could be waking up in Iraq or in the Congo or in you know Somalia or Siberia or any number of other very hard places that some people are called to lead their life. And so I want to be grateful that, that I get to lead mine in the geographical perspective of, of America. Then there's the genealogical perspective. Okay, so we don't have this in common at all unless you're here with a relative this morning and uh, this afternoon. And so I don't know if you watched The Crown, the Netflix miniseries. So many of us Americans are fascinated with the whole idea of, of the monarchy, especially since it is so very foreign to us, which in part is why this country was started. But there's nobody in this country that we call, you know, Royal Highness. There's no one that we would bow down to. There's no one wearing a crown. There's no one living in a palace. And so the whole thing is just very interesting to us. And I know you realize this, but but Queen Elizabeth did absolutely nothing to earn or deserve that crown, that title, any of that. All she did was to be born to a king who, by the way, became a king, became a king under pretty bizarre circumstances as well. She's the oldest daughter. There are no sons. Therefore, she is the queen. And she's now been wearing that crown longer than any other British royal in history. Um, and so, you know, her younger sister was chopped liver. I mean, it, 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 all that matters is when you were, whoever was born first, you're it. Uh, so very, very bizarre to us, but very interesting to watch how, how all of that unfolds. So we, of course, have no control as any more than Queen Elizabeth did about when we were born or where we were born or to whom we were born. But this perspective gives us the opportunity to praise the Lord for placing us in the particular family where he did. Now, for many of us, that is a cause for great, great joy to be able to say, thank you, Lord, that you placed me in that home with those parents who loved me. They weren't perfect. I wasn't a perfect kid. They weren't perfect parents. But Lord, I can trace your hand through putting me in that family. Thank you for that. Those of you who've been adopted into a family can do the same thing. There are others of you who just can't really be thankful in, in a way that you would want to be overtly for the parents that you were given. Maybe they did not raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Maybe they were abusive towards you. I don't know what, what the situation might be. But we know that it's no accident that the Lord placed you there and praise the Lord. He has called you out of that. And that should make you even more resolved than ever that the home that you now are a part of is going to be a home where the Lord is honored and where people are, are loved and wanted. But it's funny to play the little mind games that you can play about genealogy. You know, like what if your great-grandfather decided not to ask your great-grandmother out after all? Maybe he got too nervous or something happened. They never got together. Guess what? You're not here. Okay, I mean, you just you can't play those games too much. But I like to think about the fact that there was a woman who lived in um, rural Nebraska. She was married to an immigrant. They were not very wealthy at all, but they had two sons. And then they had a daughter, and this mother was just so thrilled to have a daughter, as most moms are, but she was just particularly taken with girls. And for no apparent reason, that baby died at age six months, and no one knows why. And she just obviously was horribly, horribly saddened by all of that, but she just didn't seem to be able to recover from it. And the Lord allowed her to be pregnant again. So she and her husband expected this next child. And of course, she was praying so hard it would be a girl. And it was a boy. It was a healthy boy. 
She was visibly disappointed, actually, that it was a healthy boy. The Lord allowed her to get pregnant one more time. So she was just hoping against hope because this was most likely the last time she could have a child. And she gave birth to a child in the middle of the winter there in Nebraska, and it was a boy. And she was, again, visibly disappointed. Now, I never met this woman, but I'm going to be looking for her in heaven where she's long since been reunited with that little baby girl. And I am going to tell her how very grateful I am that the Lord did not answer her prayer. Because if she had had a daughter, she wouldn't have had that fourth child. And that fourth son was my dad. And my dad was an awesome dad. And she and my grandfather pointed my dad to Christ. He pointed me to Christ along with my mom. And I'm just so glad that she didn't have that daughter because my dad wouldn't have been born and I wouldn't be here. And so I just have a... a, I never got to meet her. She died when I was six months old. And, um, but I just, it's just one of those stories that you think of, like, thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that prayer. And, and so here's some manifestation of that. Next is the gender perspective. Well, here's one that we all 100% in this room share and are glad to do so. Part of our assignment, a key part of our assignment from the Lord is to be female. We are created to be image bearers of God and to glorify him in our femininity. Now, we don't have to wear pink and pearls all of the time to do that, but we celebrate the fact that God created us to be female and we should look and act like women. Now, I don't mean this in the sense of getting up in the morning and those of you who are married, either silently, hopefully silently, and hopefully not out loud, would have any kind of thought to say, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not a man. Um, you know, I'm so glad I get to be a woman, but, but to just be genuinely grateful and happy that the Lord has given you the assignment to be female as you walk this earth. Now, in the recent past, it is now somewhat enlightened to declare in the delivery room that the female child just born is a they and that she's not a she until they technically grow up. This is all so confusing to me, and I hate these plural pronouns for a singular person, but Technically, we're supposed to wait until that female grows up to the point to where she decides that she is going to embrace femininity. Lord help us. And this this is not going to go away. It seems to only be getting more and more common. Let's gladly own the female aspect of our assignment and seek to encourage other women to do the same eagerly as we read and apply what the Bible clearly teaches about roles for women in the church and in the home. Now, some great books have already been given away that I put on the resource list. We could spend the whole conference talking about biblical femininity. It is one topic I'm very happy to speak to. But suffice to say, we want to prayerfully understand the authorial intent of every one of those passages, whether it's from Claire Smith's book, which is my personal favorite, or or Mary Cassian, who's been on our faculty at Southern Seminary, or Susan Hunt, who wrote that classic book, True Woman, that's now been reissued. I wrote a review on it on the um, Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood website that you could see that's just a summary of that book, Um, to the Janie Ortland book, which is a textbook we used when Aaron Wheeler took Embracing Femininity. I'm glad to see it's still in print, but it's the the oldest book on the list. I think it's from around 2001. Um, But in all of those, we are looking for what the author intended to say in every one of those passages. We're desiring, again, as you've heard multiple times this weekend, to be women of the word, and we don't want to take those passages and make them say what we think it should say, or even maybe what we would like for it to say, which is completely irrelevant. But what does it say? 
We were bought with a price, and so I keep coming back to this verse, which has nothing to do with biblical womanhood, but everything to do with applying it, which is Luke eleven twenty eight that says this, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, some translations, and obey it. So to me, it's, it's, it's just real cut and dried, and I'm very, very passionate about the role of women in terms of biblical womanhood, in terms of complementarity in our own denomination. We are having some sparks flying about this even now with people questioning you know, what the role of the woman is. I'm, I'm so glad I have no desire to stand behind that pulpit tomorrow and preach. I'll be glad to sit there and listen to my husband preach. I have no desire to do that. I'm glad there's not a man in this room. I'm happy to speak to you women. I don't feel like I'm inferior, that if a man were to come in here, there's nothing that I can teach him, but that's just not my role and my assignment. I have the same worth and value as that man, but I have a different role and assignment, and I'm glad to take that from Scripture. Going to 1 Peter, which I referenced this morning, of how how we're we're told what our assignment is, and then we're told to, to have a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. He didn't tell men to do that. He tells us to do that. Remember, I was floating on the, not floating, I was sunk on the bottom of that sea. I was dead and unable to save myself. The Lord has saved me. And now I'm going to spend whatever time I have left on this planet trying to do what his word says, seeking to honestly see what the author meant in those texts. Is some of it cultural? That's, that's the big argument. Okay, we don't wear togas anymore. We're not riding on camels anymore. Therefore, you know, women weren't educated then and people try to just throw all of this off. Where do you stop with that? Now, we're not wearing togas anymore, and we don't, nobody's wearing a head covering in here, but I won't try to do my whole class on this, but, you know, there are different cultural ways that we now embrace femininity. I take my husband's name. My father's name is now gone. I use the initial. I'm proud to be his daughter, but I take my husband's name. He doesn't take my name. I, I wear a wedding ring. I am proud to be associated with him. Those are ways in this culture where you show that you are living under these biblical standards, so. Blessed is he who hears God's word and keeps it. That's that's our job to do. And I really don't think we're going to stand before the Lord one day and he's going to say, you know, you took all that stuff a little bit too seriously. I wasn't really meaning you couldn't preach when, you know, what? But it takes such biblical, some some mental gymnastics rather to, to take those passages and flip them around and then have women who stand up and say that they have the call to preach. It's just, it's not in the text and when we start questioning biblical authority on that subject, where, where do we stop? I mean, what, where do we stop cutting and slicing and being what I call scalpel Christians who just, there's things you don't like, you just skip that page. Okay, rant over on that, but it is very important as we think of our gender perspective as, as women of the word. Okay, another perspective that's just rather obvious is that that's part of, of who we are is just our marital status. So there's, there's four options here, and you know them well. We're in this room all either single, married, widowed, or divorced. Paul speaks of marriage a whole bunch in, in 1 Corinthians 7 where we just were. That single assignment for you may be temporary. Paul recommends it but clearly does not require it. We all know of some very happy single people who can do, as is in verse 34 of, of, Roman, of 1 Corinthians 7, that there are single women who are anxious about the things of the Lord, unlike the married women who are anxious about the things of the world and pleasing their husband. So clearly the Lord has called some women to, to singleness, and we rejoice in that. Our marital status somewhat defines us for sure. So there are some who are now divorced or widowed. If they were doling out assignments, they would never have assigned that to themselves voluntarily. 
They did not plan on this. Life is very complicated. I won't try to oversimplify this at all. But it's not a surprise to the Lord what your marital status is right now. And you are called to live the life the Lord has assigned to you in that place. I would say the majority of us are married, and we are blessed to be joined to a man who loves the Lord. Those of you that are are members of this church, we are two forgiven sinners seeking to serve the Lord together. And we add to that sanctifying process for many of us the gift of children. So our role of mother is is yet another part of our assignment, especially for 18, 20, 25 years, however many children you have. That is a huge part of of your calling on a day-to-day basis, obviously. Another perspective is our life circumstances. So I want to cover this one carefully. No two are alike. Some are similar. No four categories on this one. This somewhat touches again on what we've talked about for the past couple of sessions about suffering. Uh, lots of women who are who are who have life circumstances that just are marking their journey here. The faith of women who press on and live victoriously is so encouraging to us who are observing them. And it sounds very insensitive to include people in this category who are living sort of like modern day Job to just look at them and say, well, you're supposed to gladly lead the life the Lord has assigned to you. But to be honest, as we've also discussed about the other verses that we've looked at earlier this weekend, that that is what the text says. And so Paul gives these mandates to all believers to rejoice, to pray, to give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't have as an addendum on there as long as you're healthy and happy or not dealing with cancer or abuse or a wayward child or mental illness or poverty or any other number of issues. But it says, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. We've talked about Paul and his thorn, and he talks a whole lot in 2 Corinthians about suffering. And so um, this, this can just be a very, very helpful study for those of you who are in that type of season now to look at in, in 2 Corinthians. Lots of great analogies here. He talks about how we don't lose heart, how we let our lights shine out of the darkness, he says in chapter 4, verse 6, that light shines out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then we have this beautiful picture where he talks about the treasure that we have in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So this is a great passage on which to meditate. I love what um, Paul David Tripp has done with this in, in one of his works where he talks about th- these pots, these earthen vessels that we read about in Scripture, these jars of clay that are going to have cracks in them. Sometimes the cracks are just wider for some, uh, some than others. But he talks about how the glimmer of the light of the gospel is shining through those lights. Um, the outer self is wasting away, as we see in the mirror every day. But he, he goes on in, this, in the rest of this chapter, also in chapter 4, where he says again, we do not lose heart, verse 16. Though our outer self's wasting away, the inner self's being renewed, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
So it is insulting to suggest to someone going through such a difficult time that this is a light momentary affliction, but that's not our words. Those are, those are the words that we read in this book that we fully affirm and believe. And Paul speaks with, with authority and has this experience in his own life that, that just think about this, just ponder this, that this affliction, whatever it is, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Our little feeble minds can't even begin to conceive what that means, but it's going to be so glorious. Next is the season of life perspective. So this, this goes along with contentment quite a bit, but think with me for a moment about how this leading the life that you are called to lead right now deals with the season of life in which you find yourself. So maybe you might, might not want to admit this, but do you remember a time when you were young and in love and maybe just thought to yourself, oh Lord, please just don't come back yet. Let me live long enough. I've looked so long for this guy. Here we are, we're getting married. Just, we just, we're just we in this great season. I wish we could just kind of freeze things here because this is just so sweet. Ditto for those of you who've waited so long to be moms and are thinking like, oh Lord, you know, this is perfect. This is what I have wanted for so long. Just, just hold off for a while, please. Don't come back yet. Uh, I love this season. It's wonderful. So it's also possible to be very discontented in the current season where you are um, to the point where you live in the past, thinking back to those days of being early married or having little ones, or maybe thinking about what you think the future is supposed to look like, that you're just really ineffective in gladly leaving the life that's assigned to you today. Last year on very short notice, I found myself in the middle of a huge project. So it was a very busy time at Southern. We have all these Christmas parties and graduation. And my 96-year-old mom just opened the door barely to the possibility that she might be ready to move to assisted living, which we were really waiting on her to make that call. So she opened the door. I drove a truck through it literally, got, up, you know, got moving vans and all this kind of stuff arranged. And I'm very short notice. I'm, I'm going through all this kind of stuff at her, her house, which was... She wasn't a, isn't a pack rat at all, but it just had a lot of things to go through. And she'd had a cat who'd been a great companion to her. No one else liked this cat, but the cat loved her, so great. Um, but I was super allergic to this cat. So I'm in her house going through this stuff. It's pre-COVID. I've gone to get a mask, which I can easily do. I went and bought an N95 mask at Walmart or somewhere. I was like, well, this will work. Put that on. Save the extra one, and it came in really handy a few months later. So I'm going through her house. I'm crying my eyes out from this cat, and I'm also crying my eyes out just going through all of these, all this memorabilia. So things that my father had left behind. And, and so here's this picture of my mom, my dad, my brother, and me. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm crying because it's like, oh, they waited so long to get married, then they couldn't have children for so long, and it's just such, everybody's happy. Brought back this flood of great memories. Well, that's long gone. My brother's a grandfather. I'm a grandmother now. My dad's in glory. My mom is moving to a nursing home. Like, this is, this is so ancient history. See another picture, and it's pictures from, from when I'm a young mom. So it's my husband and me and our two kids, and we'd had infertility issues as well. And so here we were, and they were just so young and cute, and now they're all grown up and gone, and that season's passed. And then there's another portrait. My mother was so pleased that she got to live, is so pleased. And to speak of her, she's not here and she is, but she's not in that house anymore. But she was pleased when she became a great grandmother. So at her age, at 95, when this happened, it was awesome. And so here's a picture of my daughter, son-in-law, two grandsons at that point. And so it, it struck me, you know, I, I'm in this picture over here. I'm in this middle picture. I, I'm not in this picture at all. 
And it wouldn't be weird if I was. Like there's there's Katie and her husband and her two kids and there's Katie's mom in the picture. Like, why would Katie's mom be in the picture? I'm not in that picture because that family unit is all fine by itself. I shouldn't be in that picture. But but it's just to me it was just a stark reminder of just the different stages and the different seasons and how I'm not in that picture now. I love them, they love me, but they're a little they're their own family unit. They're doing just fine without me. And so the whole season of life with my parents is long gone, with our kids at home is gone, and, and we now are living in the in the uh, empty nest, which we're enjoying, by the way. I was never we were never ones that were like counting it down like some parents do. That always kind of disturbs me when they've got like a thing on the refrigerator almost, or they're counting down till that last kid is gone. Um, it, every season has its joys and its sorrows, but we're in that one now. Um, but I just, it, it's just striking to me that those seasons are just so short, you don't really realize it at the time. Um, but at the end of the day, they all add up to such a short amount of time, and aren't we glad we don't know exactly how short they might be. For some of you, the season that you're in now is is just heavily um, you're preoccupied either with an occupation that you have or the season of life with kids at home that we've referenced. For others of you, huge chunks of time are taken up by caring for a loved one. Maybe it's an aging parent or an aging spouse um, where your days and your nights kind of run into each other. But the season of life in which you are right now is the one where we're supposed to be walking joyfully. And I am glad that we don't know, you know how many days we have. One of the things we set up for my mom was, was an Alexa device, which is pretty funny just to see how she had to try to get used to talking to this device and how she really kind of thinks it's a person, I think, at times, because she'll tell me that Alexa won't let her do this or a little bit like, Mom, she's not in a bad mood today or she's not letting you hear the briefing. Okay, you just, you have to ask it this certain way. Um, so... But I'm so glad that, like, you don't hear, Alexa's got this big, friendly, bold voice, and so I'm glad that she doesn't come on and go, you know, it's April 10th, you know, it's 65 degrees outside, and you have 6,212 more days to live. You know, wouldn't that be horrible? Aren't we so glad that it's a gift that we don't know how many days it's going to be? The Lord knows. He's numbered our days. We're in this season for this long. We don't know how much that's going to be, but we want to make every one of those days count. The last one is the giftedness perspective of our assignment. So we're walking this walk. We have this role to fulfill each one of us in a unique way, and we have this giftedness. Now, some of you, your gift is apparent to all. I mean, you have a voice like an angel. I can't wait till when we're in heaven and we can all sing like that. Uh, some of you make teaching look easy, or you have a gift of compassion that blesses so many people, or your home is such a warm and welcoming place as you practice hospitality to God's glory. But some of you, maybe your gift is not as easily identifiable. Now, we know that you have a spiritual gift that's given to all upon justification of, by faith in Christ. If you're struggling to know what that is, I would, I would really encourage you to just find out. You know, Ask people who know you. Take one of those spiritual gift inventories if you must. Uh, clearly ask the one who gave you the gift to make it, make it known to you. Like, make it a matter of prayer. Lord, I don't want this to be a stumbling block in my life to where I'm always just trying to figure out what it is you want me to do. Show me what my giftedness is, and then just help me to get busy using that gift. Satan wants us to be envious of other people's gifts, for sure. He wants us to think that whatever gift we have is insignificant. He wants us to hide our gift and not develop it, but we're supposed to boldly use it and watch what happens. It's really hard to gladly lead the life assigned to you if you are missing this important piece of the puzzle. 
Maybe your gift just seems to be so common and so ordinary, but consider it in the hands of an omnipotent God who is at work in thousands of different ways that we do not know and understand. Some of you are not old enough to get to this point yet, but I am. There there, there comes a point in life when you realize, you know what? It's not going to be me. I am not going to be the one who discovers a cure for cancer. It's it's just not going to be me. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to set any records in anything in any category. So that's just not going to happen. Not an athlete, you know, not in any other category. Um, There's not going to be a biography written about me. In fact, if we're really honest, the truth is that we're not going to be remembered for very long for anything. That's, that's kind of sobering. I mean, every one of us has four great-grandmothers. These were our parents' grandparents. Do you even know all four of your great-grandmothers' names? I mean, they didn't live that long ago. Maybe you can come up with their names. Do you know anything about them? Do you know what they did? Do you know, you know what contributions they had, what gifts they had? If you do, you're very unusual. We're just not going to be remembered for that long because time marches on. Now, the truth of the matter is most of us are very, very ordinary. And it's okay to be disappointed that maybe you've had some dreams that weren't realized or some lofty goals that didn't come to pass for you or for your family. Life is just full of disappointments in this post-Genesis 3 existence. But what's not okay is for you to just get mired there and to keep revisiting that over and over again. Instead, we run to God's Word. And in God's Word, we read raw stories about a bunch of ordinary people who made so many egregious mistakes. And God used them to his glory anyway, and he got the credit for doing so. So whether it's Gideon or David or Elijah or John or Peter or Mary, the mother of Jesus, these are all people that we're still talking about now, not because of who they were, but because of who God is and how he chose to use their broken, weak, sinful lives and turn them around as they learned to lead the life the Lord had called to them, the life to which they were called. So we understand that we do have these unique assignments. We have unique giftedness. We have some things that are in common, as in our gender and season of life in this room, etc. There are some common parts of our assignment as Christ-following women that we should note and hopefully spur one another on in the process. And and the first thing that we would mention here that we have in common is that we are all called to prioritize the Lord in knowing him and making him known. We are all to be still and know that he is God. We never arrive at the perfect way to do that. There is no perfect method for, quote, quiet time or personal devotions, and we will never go beyond scratching the surface of the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. But that doesn't mean we, we stop trying In every single season of life, we know without a doubt that our assignment and calling is rooted in cultivating our relationship with the Lord. We never graduate from that. We have no business looking for ways how to use our gifts if our spiritual disciplines are not a priority. That's just plain and simple fact. So so how is your spiritual health? I have two favorite quotes about the Bible that I've been quoting recently, neither of which is complicated, but I think are both very profound. One from the late Jerry Bridges who said, the Bible is not just a book about God, it's a book from God. It's his only objective, authoritative communication to us. The other's from Dr. John Piper who said, and you can almost hear him saying this, he says, be amazed that you have a Bible. Get up in the morning, hold this book, and weep for joy. 
Open it and expect the same spirit who inspired the scriptures will now illumine them for you. Isn't that great? So be amazed that you even have one. Get up, hold this book, weep for joy, open it, expect the same spirit that inspired these scriptures is now going to illumine them for you. How we take for granted the privilege to study God's word. This was never made more clear to me than when we took a Reformation study trip in 2017 to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And it had never really sunk into me before just how dark, we talk about the dark ages, but it was so dark there because these people did not have access to God's word. They were so hungry for it, but they had to take what little bits and pieces were passed down to them by the papacy and others. And they were so hungry for it. And so the Lord provided it to them with the printing press and all of that. It was in their own language and they devoured God's word. We are unspeakably blessed to have it so easily at hand. We have it on our phones. We have it, you know, in all these different technological ways. But we also, there's nothing better than the printed word of God that you can open and turn the pages and make notes. It's, it's an amazing thing. We seek to be women of prayer who let our requests be made known to God, even as we offer him gratitude, which we've talked about, confession of sin, which we've talked about, and just our heartfelt pleas to him. Uh, our time with the Lord is it's such that we want to crave a close, personal relationship with him. It's not a check-the-box task. It's a passionate pursuit to know him. It's long been said that Satan trembles when we pray. I love this quote that's in your, one of your discussion questions given to, attributed to Samuel Chadwick. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Let's seek to make Satan tremble every single day from the perspective with which we can control that. So we pray specifically for ourselves, for others. We don't want to pray the same old things about the same old words. So we've somewhat covered this already about how much more effective it is for the Lord to convict you of, of your faulty thinking when you are specifically asking him to do that. We're also all called to disciple and mentor and encourage other women as we read in Titus 2. So this is part of our assignment. It's clearly stated in scripture and it doesn't contain any postscripts after it either. Okay, It doesn't say that we are to mentor other women and to, to older women or to teach the younger women if you have nothing else to do. If you don't have one of the important gifts, you can always fall back on teaching other women. If you're an extrovert then you'll be a great mentor. Or if you're really, really old, then you'll be a great mentor. Okay, you don't have to be on Medicare to be a mentor. That's such a misconception. It's, it's just ridiculous. Every woman is an older woman to someone. So college women, some of you in this room, find a teenage girl who is looking for some encouragement and some wisdom as she navigates adolescence. You can do that better than anyone. It's been a really long time since I was a teenage girl. So I've had a teenage girl, but I've even then appreciated someone closer to her age who could come alongside her and just, you know, help her to understand, give her encouragement as she navigates what's becoming a rougher and rougher course for, for American teens. Young marrieds, find a college woman or a single woman who is unsure about how to be content where she is, who needs advice about how to find a godly husband and, and to be the godly woman that she needs to be as she is waiting for that man, if that's what the Lord has for her. 
Another need that women of all ages can step up to help with is for those who are much more excited about the wedding than they are the marriage, and they are struggling. They did not have a good role model to follow, and they know nothing about being a godly wife. They can tell you all about how to have the best reception ever, but now that's just in a bunch of pictures and really doesn't matter. They need someone that they can trust who can tell them some hard things, and that might be your job. If, if For this woman who, who has no clue, there may be some hard things you need to tell her about her attitudes. And it will also be necessary for you to be able to keep confidences, which will be so very important. And you do not have to be a marriage expert in order to do this. Moms, there are a lot of women out there who are fellow moms who, I think I alluded to this earlier too, who just think that you're lucky when we were talking about teaching your children about gratitude. They just think that you're lucky because like you ask your kids to do something and your kids actually do it. Wow, you're lucky because my kids don't do that is what they think. And luck has absolutely nothing to do with this. So you can't say it that blatantly to them, but that's the truth. Parenting is very hard work. It's, it's a full-time job. It is a whole lot of responsibility. And so you may not want to stand behind a lectern and teach a seminar on parenting, but you can invite a young mom who thinks that you're just lucky to hang out with you and to see how everything is a learning experience here as you are trying to point those little souls to Christ and you are not trying to teach them to be good little moral rule keepers, but you are shepherding their hearts and trying to give them the why of what we do, what we do, and why we don't do what we don't do. So let them hang out with you, and they'll have some, some teachable moments. There are some wives who are just lost when it comes to the whole idea of being those who watch well over their household or keepers at home. They're reluctant to ask for help, but there is no gene for homemaking. So some people just live under that illusion that, like, I just I, I miss that somehow. Um, these people think that they find themselves to be a failure. They spend way too much time on social media looking at all these fake things of how people are super mom, super homemaker. They think that they, since they don't grind their own wheat and churn their own butter that they're just failures. But we know better. So let one of those drowning homemakers follow you around for a bit. Same way that you would mentor uh, someone who's struggling with parenting. Hopefully she's going to work up the courage to invite you to her house at some point, and you can help her get started to get some things in order. Now, Satan loves excuses when it comes to us as being Titus to women, as older women to younger women. So do you think that you don't have your act together enough to disciple or mentor someone? Because neither do I. I'm never going to have my act together enough to feel qualified to disciple or mentor anyone, and that's not at all a requirement for this process. Do you think you have to know the Bible better before you can do this? Because after all, what we're going to seek to do is to point them to Christ and to point them to a study of what we're told in his infallible and inerrant word. And, and there is something to this that I'm seeing now uh, just across generational lines is that there are some older women who are almost intimidated because these younger women know the Bible better than they do. Uh, they're very intentional about it. They've studied God's word. They've taken courses. They've done BSF. They've you know been studying under uh, wonderful pastors, et cetera, been in small groups, pick one, uh, all of these things. And so that, you know, Satan loves this. Satan's like, how are you going to mentor her? She can quote the Bible backwards and forwards. What, what do you know? 
Uh, some people kind of have, I think, the, the nightmare of being on Jeopardy. Have you ever had this nightmare where you're on there and it's like, and now here's these three people and they, they describe you as like ministry wife or something that, you know, and then up comes these categories on the Bible and so everybody's looking at you and it's, you know, name the four gospels. Well, you got that one down and it's anything more than that and you're just, the, uh, and, and so you are humiliated. Well, not so that you can do well on Jeopardy, but if you do feel like you could just kind of maybe use a refresher or maybe just in your walk, you've never really done a total flyover of what the total biblical story looks like. The book that was given away this morning is, is a good option there, the um, clarifying the Bible. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it ties the Old Testament to the New Testament. You, it's not, you know, teaching you Hebrew and Greek. It's not meant to be something that's super um, difficult or challenging but, I mean, all of us as believers are lifelong students, right? And if you've never really been able to connect the dots, and, and you think of the Old Testament as, as having, you know, a, a God who has all of these traits that are just, just so very heavy and, and judgmental, and here's that God, and then we get to the God of the New Testament, and he's sweet Jesus, and he's loving, and he's kind. Well, guess what? It's the same God in both the Old and the New Testament. We just have some really weird misconceptions about what's happening in the Old Testament, and I see this all the time. We have an Old New Testament survey course for, for Seminary Wives Institute, and the three weeks they spend in Old Testament is just, it's life-changing for some of these women who do have that misconception. And so all that to say, if, if your excuse is that you don't know the Bible as well as you need to, well, then maybe that's a wake-up call to do some study, but don't let that keep you from, from helping others. One author defines biblical mentoring as guiding and sharing your own experiences with the Lord and providing first aid to fellow travelers. I love that. It doesn't say anything about how you know Greek and Hebrew, right? It's guiding and sharing your own experiences with the Lord and then providing some first aid to fellow travelers. Yes, you've got to direct them to God's word, but you don't have to know Greek in order to do so. And you also have to be wise enough to know when you're out of your league as a mentor. So if you get involved in a relationship and it's a mentoring relationship and this, this person does need a professional biblical counselor, then you need to be wise enough to be able to say, I've taken you as far as I can with this. Let me help you talk to someone who can provide some more help. Do you think that the Lord is going to drop someone on your front porch if he really wants you to be helpful? There are some who have that mentality like, Lord, I am ready. I am willing. Just, just drop them right here. There's no truth in that at all. Uh, do you think that you would step up if a, if a person is begging and there is no one else to do it? Boy, what kind of an attitude is that? Be a Christian where you are. It was our text, remember, earlier. It is not about waiting until that's the last resort. I've actually had somebody do this once when we had a need for something, and their answer came back, well, if you can't find anybody else to do it, I'll do it. Rest assured, I never called her again because I don't, I don't need that kind of, of attitude. I want someone who's ready to step up and, and fulfill a role that, that they can clearly do. Should you wait until life slows down and you can commit to hourly sessions every week for the next decade? Because that's what mentoring is. It's, it's hourly sessions every week for a decade. That's not what mentoring is. So let's get that misconception out of your mind too. And guess what? Life is not going to slow down until you're in your rocking chair at the Shady Pines rest home. Okay, that's when life will slow down. So pray about how you might be a Titus II woman as part of your assignment now in every season that should be a part of the, of the warp and woof of, of who you are. This goes back to my introduction in terms of us stepping up now while there is still time to teach women things that they need to know that they're just not going to hear from the world. They're just not. 
Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I think the Puritan John Flavel summarized that verse well when he simply said this, God's word is not in danger of not succeeding. That's not something you need to ever worry about. We do not need to worry that God's word is not going to succeed. He does not need our help to make it succeed, by the way, but he desires our obedience. He desires our faithful following of his leading to use that he will use to affect things that we will not even believe until we see him, but he is at work. Let's say you have the ordinary gift of hospitality. And let's say that you and your husband are seeking to to love your family, love your church family, love your neighbors, and you are willing for whomever the Lord has brought into your life to just seek to be be helpful in that way. And so let's say that there's this young boy in the neighborhood. He does not have a very happy home at all. Just leave it at that. It's not a happy home, but he will come over occasionally. And you've come to find out that he just really, really likes your your crispy chocolate chip cookies. They're like his favorite thing. So to hear him tell it, he's glad when he comes over there because you seem to always have those cookies for him. And, and you make eye contact with him and you ask him good questions. And when he comes back the next time for more cookies, you're asking him follow-up questions on that and you seem to really care what the answers are. Now, he doesn't know that you're praying for him. He doesn't know that he is feeling the fragrance of Christ in your home. But you just continue to do that. You get to know him a little bit better. You eventually are able to present him with a Bible. You eventually get to ask him to come to church with you. We just have to fast forward this. And that young man seems to come to faith in Christ. Now you lose track with him. You just hope and pray that it was a genuine commitment to Christ, but you don't, you lose track. But the truth be told, it was a genuine commitment. And that young man went to college, went to seminary. He became a pastor. He stands behind a pulpit week by week. It's not a mega church. It's just a regular sized church, but he preaches God's word. People are growing. People are coming to faith in Christ. He has a daughter who's interested in missions. And we can, we can continue to just play out this made up story. My point is that pastor's testimony is forever going to be. You see, there was this lady and she made these cookies and she took an interest in me. Do we dare to think that something so simple could be used by the Lord to do something so profound? Don't you think we just dream too small? Our God has a history of taking ordinary people like us who are willing to just do ordinary things and follow his leading and to do amazing things in the process. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, you are so good and so kind to us, and we come before you now as we get ready to wrap things up here today, and we just praise you, Lord, that that you you forgive us, you keep giving us second chances when we do want to be those people that just pull up the covers and just ask that this is all over, because that is not your plan. Father, we trust in you, our sovereign Lord. We rest in the sufficiency of Scripture. It tells us what we need to know. And Lord, we just wait on your promises to be fulfilled. We know they will be. So Lord, help us to joyfully and to thankfully lead the life that's been assigned to us, fully believing that he who began a good work in each one of us 
we'll be faithful to complete it. And we will give you the glory in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And sing with us. I had ways to walk. All right. Well, I often marvel at God's goodness to me as he saved me at a young age. I was spared much rebellion, and I give thanks for this great mercy that was shown to me. However, this does not mean that I automatically had really good theology or I correctly understood my biblical role as a woman. I was raised in a Christian home, but I was also raised by a strong father who believed it was best to never be dependent on anyone for anything. So I grew to be an extremely independent, self-sufficient woman who made sure that I was capable of taking care of myself. I got married to my husband, Cliff, when I was 23, right after graduating from college. And of course, I carried my self-sufficient thinking into marriage. I adhered to outward rules, and I loved God, and I loved his church. I loved my husband, but I truly didn't rejoice in, nor did I prefer being led and I specifically didn't enjoy being told what to do. <laughs> uh, this was especially true when it came to my schedule and spending money. Uh, of course, this led to many arguments and conflicts, and it made it very difficult for my husband to lead. I would again battle my role as a woman a few years later when I had my first child, and despite my husband's wishes and desires, I insisted that we move to Oklahoma so I could be close to my mother as I raised my children. This led to years of spiritual depression and a very long time with no healthy, biblically um, faithful church that we could attend. So I say all that as a warning to you all that forsaking or ignoring your God-given role as a woman has eternal consequences, and it's really no small thing. Um, but that's not the end of my story, and it wasn't the end of my story because God, who is rich in mercy— was faithful to me and began to sanctify me. As a new wife, um, the Lord would bring painful wrestling with deep sin in both Cliff and I's lives early in our marriage to graciously open my eyes to see the beauty that comes with voluntarily serving and loving and submitting to my husband. Local church members at that time would labor in prayer for me, and they modeled for me that there's actually a lessening of your burden, and there's true joy that comes when you serve and submit to your husband. Um, such grace, lots of grace. So now I'm almost 19 years into marriage and I have seen God grow me even more in this area and he continues to keep doing so. Um, Aaron, you've modeled this well for me. Uh, I don't know why it makes me want to cry, but it does, but thank you. I thank God often for you and the way that I see you serving Brad in your role as his wife. It spurred me on to work harder to support Cliff, so thank you. Um, and I can honestly say that serving with Cliff in this role has been one of the greatest honors um, and blessings. Um, when I have rightly understood the role that God has called me to as a wife, it has brought much freedom and it has changed my marriage, my joy, and my heart. And what's even more amazing is God didn't strip me of the independence that he created me um, with. He didn't strip me of the strength that he gave me, but instead he sanctified those things and they're still being used even as I submit to my husband. God often uses these things about me um, to encourage and support Cliff, whether it's in his role as a business owner, his role as a father, or his struggle with sin. Um, often I see that God uses my strength to help him 
And it's a way that I see God using what was once used as sin as now for his glory. Um, he has also um, used this strength and independence and turned them into gifts that serve my church, my husband, my home, my community, and my own children. Um, so my advice <laughs> is throw yourself at your specific role and your assignment. Like Mrs. Muller was saying, whatever your gifts, whatever your season, feed your soul on Christ through the reading of his word to listening to and singing hymns, to turning on Christ-focused podcast, to meeting with godly church members regularly at church service on Sundays and Sunday nights, but also outside of church service. Read good books, take care of your physical body, and apply your mind to knowing God more. Not only will this bring um, bring. Oh, I've lost my place. Not only will this bring God glory, which is your chief purpose, but it will also bring you the most joy. Praise God. I love getting to hear these stories of how God is showing his grace to our church members. It's a joy to get to hear those things. Um, so now we're going to be dismissed for a brief Good afternoon, friends. If you could be making your way to a seat, we will get started on our Ask Mary Q&A. I think someone, if, did anyone not get to hand in their questions? You can run it up really fast. Thank you. Great. And I will say we will likely not have time to answer all of the questions, but we hope we can answer as many. Especially if I don't answer too long. <laughs> just, just do this if I'm going on too much. Yes. Also, there are three books up here. One is for Amy Gaddy. I'm just going to say your names. One is for Caroline Pinnock, and the other is Carolyn Wilcox. So don't forget your books, friends. Um, well, yes. I put them in alphabetical order, actually, so that's my fault. <laughs> of course I did. Well, we hope your small group time was encouraging and edifying. It was a blessing to be a part of those groups. Um, and now we'll just get to think about some of the topics that she's covered and also just some uh, more get-to-know-you questions for Mary. Um, our first one is on gratitude, so we'll start with those since We'll go chronological. So what does gratitude look like in seasons of hardship, particularly in ministry? And specifically, what does it look like to encourage your husband to be grateful for those seasons while you're in them? So to kind of borrow from John Piper, I would say, like, don't waste your hardship. Like, don't waste this season. We did talk about how, like, this season is not going to last forever. You don't know long, how long it will last, but you don't get to say, okay, Lord, I'll be grateful when this is over. That, that's not an example of good gratitude. So 
you're going to have to look harder for ways to say, Lord, these days are hard. But you focus again on that supernatural gratitude. I mean, and when that's occupying your mind, that you're praising God that he is never like the way whatever these people are treating you, whatever's going wrong, like he is, he's never rushed, he's never stressed, besides all the omniscient, omnipresent, wonderful attributes that we normally list, like, thank you that you're never short-tempered, that you're never, you know, quick to, to anger, any, any of these things that are in your life right now, never are you like that. So while you're thinking of all of that, it's impossible for our little feeble minds to be thinking of two things at once. So you spend time in his word, you spend time praising him with that first level of gratitude, and then you praise him for like, thank you for this thorn. This is this season is rough. I, I don't understand any good that can come from this, but I trust you in all things. This is a test. Do I really trust you in all things? And I'm doing my very best. Help me. Just help me. And every time, every second you spend in prayer, again, you're confounding Satan because he's trembling. So win-win. In terms of the ministry thing and encouraging your husband, I deal with this a whole lot and really try to stress this with our student wives that it is just so very important that he knows you're on his team. Um, it is not important for you to know the ins and outs of everything that's going on. So please take that pressure off of him that when he comes home from some type of rough session of whatever it is, like you're not like shaking him. Well, then who said this and who did that? That's really none of your business. And you need to trust him to tell you what you need to know. If he were a medical doctor, he can come home and tell you anything. All that is HIPAA confidential. So in the ministry, like, you know these people. You're walking the halls with them on Sunday, and you don't. If he's not telling you things, just trust that his judgment in that. Uh, it's, it's very helpful that I didn't know the ins and outs of who was, who was doing what um, at times. So, so your job is to affirm him for him to know, no matter how bad this is when I go home, she's not second-guessing me. You know, she may not... She doesn't know the whole ins and outs of it, but she, even though she may not have handled this exactly the way I did, and even though that man's going to make mistakes and bungle some things, she's not going to point that out to you, and she's instead going to come around and go, look, okay, you're right. That probably wasn't the best way to do it, but you know what? We're going to learn from this. We're going to go forward. Um, I, I tried to quickly scribble down my favorite quote, and this is from James Dobson, and I love that he's male when he says this, so I have it uh, that I got off of a SWI podcast thing that says, Males have difficulty getting their life vision in place until they are loved. A man who is an effectual leader has a wife who nourishes his life vision and truly loves him. The fragile male ego needs, needs this in a, in a way that women don't. It's one thing if the whole world praises him, loves him. It's another thing if his wife does or doesn't. Now, as a woman, we would be castigated for saying something about the fragile male ego. This is a man saying this, so take that. Um, they, they really need us, guys. They need us to be on their team and to just be there and to celebrate the victories with them and for them to know that they're not walking this alone. And I think also, is this one on? Blue mic. Can you hear me? Yeah. Ah, thanks. And in, in that vein, one of the things that we talk a lot about, too, with the um, ministry-related things is when they do come back and they have known that it hasn't gone well, that you encourage them. And like you said, like, yeah, it may not have gone well, but you don't affirm them. Like, no, everything's fine. You right. don't, don't sugarcoat it. You don't cajole in right. any way either, right. which is definitely the case. Okay, That's so we have, point. as a young adult, what are some practical ways I can express gratitude to my parents where it doesn't feel forced or formal. That's so sweet. Mm -hmm. What a great question. I wish every young adult was asking that. I, know. I, would, I would just say that that needs to play out naturally, so with your own personality. So 
I was teasing them that you probably didn't know who Eddie Haskell was, but he was on Leave it to Beaver, and he was this obnoxious kid that would come into Mrs. Cleaver all the time, and every day she was wearing the most beautiful earrings or whatever, and he just, it was just very patronizing. And so, you know, your personality is going to be such that your parents know you better than anyone, but, you know, it would be just a sweet thing for you to drop them a note like that, that kid did to us, and they might go, what is he writing me, in, what is she writing me a note and it just, you know, for no occasion, just go, I just realize how blessed I am to have been born into this family and I appreciate and be really specific about things that they've done and, and make sure they know there's no hooks with this. So you're not asking for a loan, you're not asking for a new car or something. You're just, I just want you to know this. And I just feel convicted that I want to affirm you and hope that I can be the parents one day. Like be really specific that, that you've been. And I mean, as a parent, that will mean the world to them. It will be a priceless gift. So just... Live it out. Don't make it, you know, don't make it, don't try to do what somebody else is doing if that's just not with your personality. That will look weird, but don't be reluctant to do it either. So. Don't be weird. Yeah, don't be weird. <laughs> um, well, what advice or wisdom do you have for those of us with spouses, parents, children, etc., who do not believe? Is it really possible to respond with gratitude that our loved ones do not know Christ? Yeah, it really is possible, and we did we did talk about this, so I appreciate the question. I mean, I want to go back to one of the sources that's on your list that I didn't mention. I mentioned it to, to a lady who's here today when we were talking during in between a session. Um, a, a book that is really precious to me is on that list is the James Ward Prayers for Prodigals. And it's precious because it is mostly scripture, and it's like, so it's a devotional for each day. It's one page. It's got a ton of scripture in it. And this is a pastor who has two children who are prodigals. And as far as I know, they have not come back to the Lord yet. And the cover is this great picture looking out over this beautiful meadow. And there's this dog on the porch. You're seeing the dog from the back. And the dog's watching, um, waiting for that, for that loved one to come home. Um, not, not that this minimizes it, talking about animals. But, but my point is, like, it's just... And it seems like, so I just, I read it to the end, I just keep going. Like it's a page a day, and I think it's a 60 or 90 day cycle. But he, he intersperses in there some, some little biographical vignettes that, that you may or may not have heard. So it's like the Ruth Graham stories about Franklin. It's, it's um, you know, it's Augustine's mother who prayed for him, and he was, he was horrible. And look, he's one of the church fathers. I mean, we're quoting him now. Um, so there, that, that just gives great encouragement. So it's a different deal when it's an unbelieving parent. I, I have no, no wheelhouse for that. Like, I don't even know what that feels like at all to have parents that don't know the Lord and who just think that you're off and following some cult or doing something crazy uh, when you're committed to the, to the Lordship of Christ. So I would just continue to try to live your life in front of them and not try to shove the gospel down their throats at all. Be praying for them. Be praying for people to come alongside them who will also, you know, it's like, well, my daughter was just saying that the other day. Um, and, and just pray that the Lord, what a, what a sweet thing that will be if, if in your lifetime that, that happens to come to pass. Um, in terms of a spouse, of course, we wouldn't marry someone as a believer who's not a believer, but it sometimes happens that two unbelievers get married and then one uh, becomes a Christian and the other one is still not. And, and Paul addresses this very specific thing in the very passage that we were in today. So we look at 1 Corinthians 7. We were looking at verse 17, but the four verses before that says, if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. This is one of those we're going to need some help from the Greek scholars. Like that's, if you take that at face value, what, what is that meaning? Is that meaning that any, that that unbelieving husband is automatically going to be ushered into the kingdom? Well, that doesn't square with what other scripture says, so that's, that isn't what it says. But what it does tell us at face value is like, don't divorce him and continue to live with him in an understanding manner. And, you know, the Lord may do it just an amazing thing there. So this is another situation that I personally can't imagine but it happens, and you've just you've got a tough road, but you just continue to pray and just live before that man in, in an understanding way. And, you know, you're praying before your meals. You're not changing what you would do as a new believer and just, just wait and see how the Lord acts. That was actually Brad's dad and stepmom story. Huh. They were married, not believers, and then she came to faith in Christ and lived with him for 17 years, wow. faithfully living out the gospel. And he came to faith in Christ, mm. and he is now a lover of the Lord. Great. And if you ask him, he said, is it because of the witness of watching her life for 17 years that I gave my life to Christ? Did you so, bang him over the head with a big no. black Bible, did nope. she? No. Never Tell did. him he was going to go burn, just, turn or burn. Yeah. You know, yeah. none of that. <laughs> turn or burn. None of that. So good. Great. That's a great, great encouraging story to those in that yeah. situation. Okay, how have you balanced prioritizing your husband and children in the midst of a busy ministry and work schedule? Yeah, this is probably the most common question, I think, in a Q&A with ministry wives or just with women in general is that whole issue of balance. Part of this goes to the fact that a lot of women are in that category I mentioned late today about how watching well over the ways of their households just lost on them. They're just completely overwhelmed. Like they've got several kids and they're just like, I can't find socks that match. They don't have any kind of system for anything because it was never modeled for them. And so the whole idea of balance is just, and, and what they end up doing too many times instead of like trying to find a mentor or trying to find some things that work for them because different things work for different households, they just kind of throw up their hands and it just continues to be chaotic and it, that's just going to get worse. It doesn't work especially in a ministry family, you just, you can't have that. So, so you put up some parameters and you just, you, you turn some things down and you are modeling for your church family. Like they don't, people say like, well, they have to be at the church every time the doors open. No, you don't. No, you can't skip Sunday morning because you're having quality time at home or some ridiculous thing like that. Or you're sorting your husband's socks that day and getting them all matched up. But but, you know, you don't have to be at every single thing you choose wisely. You try to set aside when your kids are home. Like, you know, if they're playing football in Arkansas, Friday night is not going to be family night at home. It's not going to happen either. But you, you carve out a time when you try to put some fences around that. And as soon as you do that, some wonderful church member's family is going to have a death in the family. And it's going to blow that whole plan. And you're going to have to drop everything. And you are now modeling for your children. Okay, how are you responding as a mom? You're going to be the huffy one, like, we've finally got a weekend away, and this has to happen. No, they're watching you. Like, are you praying? We, we all know the Smiths. Bless their hearts. This was not expected. Let's pray for them. They've lost their dad. And then pray for your dad, who's not a, now got to go do this funeral. They're, they're watching that. We can reschedule the, the weekend away. So, so you schedule it. Most of the time, it's going to happen. You're looking for quality time, not quantity time. I really caution these. There's some wives out there that have these weird ideas that, you know, it's, it goes almost to the like 
Jesus and others and you deal that we sang in Sunday school spells joy. You know, like if their husband really loves them, then they are logging the time that he spends with them. And if it's not enough, then, you know, they're being neglected. So, I mean, this is true. They're like, if, if he doesn't come in the door and he's sitting on the couch with them listening to their story about what happened today at whatever thing it was, you know, it's pretty menial stuff that I'm talking about here then they're going to be one of those, that's what I call them a high-maintenance wife. And you're wanting to be the low-maintenance wife that is not being neglected, but is going with the flow, that is learning to do things that you can do. Like, you're not a master plumber, so don't try to snake the drain or something if it's clogged. But you can also be having, like, these 911 calls to him all the time of what's happening. So figure out some things that you can do with his blessing to say, like, is it all right with you if I'm going to you know, mow the lawn? Some moms... I did this when we were in Atlanta when Katie was young. Like, he's so busy. He's finally going to get home. I've never really mowed a lawn before, but it's kind of cool because it's sort of like vacuuming where you just, you see. Carolyn Wilcox, where you are you? You see it happen. And it's, and I, plus she I just, the lawn. I just hate it when the grass is long. I don't like that. So I would do that while she was asleep. And, you know, it was just one of those things that I could do. To, and he was okay with it. Now, if he, if he was, if it offended his masculinity that his wife was seen cutting the grass, Thankfully, it didn't. But if some guys it does, then don't do that. Find something else. But all that to say, you got you got to find you got to strike that balance without putting without trying to do exactly. You know, you've got this this family on a pedestal over here where everything just seems so easy and so perfect, and their kids are in matching clothes, and everybody's you know shows up on time and happy and 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 so if you if you think that that's real, it's not. There's stuff going on there that you have no idea about. But you're not that family. You're your family. You find out what works for you with your quirky personalities. Um, you know, seeking to keep the main things, the main things, and just you know, see what works for other people. Incorporate that into your schedule. If it works, great. You found something that you may keep for life. I've done that. Like, why? That's so easy. That's so simple. Why haven't I been doing that? I'm doing it 20 years later. But other things you go, that's nuts. That won't, that won't work for us. Um, so people are watching you. Keep that in mind. But also you just, the option of just going, we just, it's just too hard. And then you go start, you know, surfing on your phone, looking at the latest Instagram that is not healthy. Don't do that. Well, I think one of the things you're bringing up in this is you've got principles and then there are the practicals. Mm-hmm. And the principles are there, but how those practically get laid out are going to be unique and trying to figure out who you are rather than looking over at the fence. I think about that old sitcom where the guy was always like leaning over the fence talking to the um, neighbors. Does anybody remember that? Home yes, Home, home Improvement. improvement. Okay. I'm always like, stop being the neighbor who's looking over the fence. Look, tend, tend to your own grass. But that was one of those things I feel like was instilled during my time there, of there are principles Mm -hmm. of biblical womanhood within that home that you do and building those boundaries and setting pace. But your pace is not the same as somebody else's pace. Absolutely not. So I feel like that was instilled well, how that's played out. As the wife of a president of a seminary, what are some unique challenges and gifts that come with that role? Well, it's been a real joy to serve in that calling, not something that I ever anticipated. So that's a whole other sweet story. But now we're looking at 30 years here coming up pretty soon. And so there have been lots of challenges and lots of joys. So the challenges are that it is definitely like most ministry jobs. It's a 24-7 deal. So there's never a time even when seminary and college are not in session that you are not on. So you do get to go out of town sometimes. But 
most seminary presidents are type A. Mine is like poster child for type A. So his staff knows like you do not keep stuff from me while I'm out of town even for a week and then give it to like you don't even keep it for an hour really. Like you get to the bullet, you get to the point. I don't want the story. I want what's the bottom line, what's happening. So he's just that way and that's that means that it's there's always something percolating. I mean, we were he's president of the largest evangelical seminary in the world and there's, you know, lots of great things happening, but that means there's always cause for all kinds of stuff happening whether it's some some kind of accident within the, you know, what the student has had or illness with a faculty member, there's all these different constituencies of donors and trustees and faculty and so it's just it's a lot and and so you have to you just have to accept those challenges. The, the joys are immense and innumerable. Um, just the, the privileges that we've had over the years. My kids got to meet some amazing people, um, some with names that you would recognize that just came and uh, I'll call James Dobson's name again just for an example. He comes to mind. He was at our house for an event, uh, for a meal kind of thing after an event. And Katie was about 16. And so I'm just watching this because everyone was just, it was a buffet and they were just going to sit down. So so she sits down while Dr. Dobson gets his plate and he comes and he sits right down next to Kate. And he and so, you know, she's a bright kid, but she's nervous as can be because she knows who this is. And, and he just looks at her and he goes, Well, Katie, tell me what I what I need to know about you so that I can get to know you better. And I was like, What a great question. You know, he could have sat down and go, I can sign my book for you if you'd like. You do know who I am, you know. And and so Mrs. Dobson was down with Christopher playing with our beagle on the floor. Like it was just, it was so sweet to see people like that that just are real people. Uh, and so that happened multiple times. So they they had many privileges. The trustees sent us on a trip across Europe for our 20th anniversary there. That was one of those, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing because your kids are adolescents. This is only going to happen once. So we made lots of great memories on that. Um, so it's, you know, there's no real job description for seminary president's wife. It's, um, so I, I came there just kind of with a blank slate. And once we got through all the controversy and things started rolling along, you know, more in a positive direction, starting the Seminary Wives Institute, um, trying to keep things balanced between local church things and the seminary, and those are not the same, and um, family issues and all of that stuff. It's, it's, it's never a dull moment, I'll say that. Yes. Okay, we have this. This says, "What ha, what has discipling other women women looked like for you?" But I will, I want to just add, as somebody who has watched you, I mean, you're discipling. I mean, maybe one on one, but you have done like massive discipling in different ways. So I'm hoping you're speaking so. to that as I well. I appreciate that because it ask that. Okay, I appreciate that. It seems almost like a cop out to say this, but. Actually, the, the faculty wife that we have teaching mentoring, the six-week class on mentoring, made the statement recently that she sees what we do at SWI is like, is like mentoring in, in each class because we are, and, and there's so many of them and there's so few of us that when, they, when student wives ask, will you mentor me? It sounds like a cop-out to go, there's so many of you, it's just not fair for me to pick one out. And so what we have done traditionally, I think, is, is the biblical thing to do when we put the we put the responsibility on the local church. And we go, okay, which, which local church are you? We've got a myriad of great churches in Louisville now. Like, what church are you in? Find someone in that church. If that doesn't work out, come back to me, and it usually does. So I've discipled a couple of young women in our church. Most recently, one that I just have to tell you because it was a funny story. She came to me, brand-new student wife, newlywed. She's in SWI, so I can see her birth date and stuff, you know, just little stuff like that about her. 
So I look at it and go, oh my goodness, she's 19 years old. She's married. So she comes over to the house. We're having this nice little talk. And I'm determining, you know, what, what we might be able to do here. Because she's, she's very eager to learn. And, um, and so I said something about, are you the oldest in the family? Yes, she's just been married a few months. And I said, well, you know, tell me about the, the next oldest. Something about telling me about her family. And she said, well, the next oldest are the twins. And they're planning to come to Boys College next year. I was like, well, great. So... I said, so I think I just blurted out like, oh, your mom, you know, three children coming here, you know, leaving home. And she said, well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the oldest of 13. And I went, oh, I tried to not let my face show. And, and also her mother's expecting. And I'm like, okay. And then come to find out this student wife is also expecting. So she and her mom are pregnant at the same time. Okay, they're going to be three months apart. Great family, wonderful family, but my immediate thought is, you've got this mom who's raising 13 kids, and she speaks so highly of her mom, like, what do I have to teach you? Why are you here? So, but what I did was we, I chose Disciples of a Godly Woman by Barbara Hughes, Disciplines of a Godly Woman by Godly, by Barbara Hughes. And we just met as we could. Like I would just set up a time because I wanted this to be a priority. And we just once a month would meet. She'd read the chapter. I'd read the chapter. We'd talk about it. It happened very naturally. I'm not trying to teach her as an expert. I mean, I know her mom has taught her lots of things. But I was just so impressed that she was willing and seeking out, you know, more training and more instruction. So Well, and I think there's something to be said about just even her, the way that her mom did disciple her. To then go and seek discipling. Right. Because those two things, we have the local church for that reason. Mm-hmm. So I'm so thankful you said it like that because that is the God's discipling program is the local church. It is. So using the local church as a means of discipling. And the local yeah. churches need to step up and meet that need. Yes, they really they do. do. So this question is kind of two sides of one coin, okay. but um, women who are staying home with their children, feeling like staying home isn't enough, but also women who are working outside of the home and are trying to do it all. How do you kind of think through that biblically of just the living out the unique assignment the Lord has called you to? Right. So disclaimer, I am a very strong supporter of stay-at-home moms. I am so blessed that from day one, there was no question. My husband would have gotten three jobs if he had to. I have a college degree. I was working for a physician at the time. But it was the desire of my heart. We had infertility issues for two years. There was just no way I was going to voluntarily put my child. We didn't have family living nearby. So it would have been a daycare situation, and that would have ripped my heart out. I mean, maybe I just I, I couldn't imagine it. So it was a God-given desire that I was home. Never regretted that for a moment. Knew that I could go back to work at some point, you know, when the kids were in school or when they were grown. Had no idea what my position would be now and now. I'm not, I volunteer for all kinds of stuff, but I have no desire to be employed. Um, so for me, that's, I mean, that's the model that my mother gave. She was a very gifted businesswoman, took a break from that, went back into real estate after we were gone, grown. Um, Al's mom was that way too. She's a nurse. But she was home with all of her kids. So that, that's what was modeled for me. And I just frankly struggled with people who voluntarily didn't want to do that. And I'm not at all saying that there's chapter and verse for this. So please hear that. Um, but, but for someone who just voluntarily says the workplace needs me so badly, I can't step away from that for a few years. 
I'm going to give somebody else the job of primarily taking care of my child, and I'm going to go do this job. Now, it's a totally different thing if financially it's just impossible. Otherwise, there's all different kinds of situations there. I'm not casting aspersions on anyone. But that, that's just what my heart has been. And, and I, don't, I don't like the idea of having what one author calls a divided heart, whereas I'm, my mind is now occupied with how I'm going to deal with this situation at work tomorrow when I'm also dealing with the, the, the high calling of being a mom to these precious little children. So that just, that's just how it was for me. But, but, so it would rip my heart out, and it does when I see women who really don't want to go to work, but maybe their husbands were raised by working moms, and they see absolutely no reason why you're losing out on all that income. You can pay somebody to change diapers and you know, watch kids. And that's, the most insulted I ever was, was was when someone suggested to me, um, they had asked the question, what do you do? Because I was somewhat dressed up coming somewhere after a chapel service at Southern, and and someone said, well, what do you do? And the other person stopped her and said, no, no, she doesn't work. She babysits her own children. And I was furious, but I had to hold it in and say, no, 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 no. I don't babysit my own children. I'm a full-time stay-at-home mom because you see, my husband and I believe that there's nobody else on the planet who can take care of those children like I can, but I don't babysit them. Um, but this was, a, it was a different, it was an international person. And I think in that culture, like it is the responsibility of the grandmothers to raise the children so that those moms then go back into the workforce. And so all that to say, those who, who are, who are balancing that it's, it's going to be rough, especially during those, I mean, there's going to be different stages and kids get sick and things happen and, and you're having to balance all that. I think it is great when you can, um, Combine the two to where if you're a school teacher and you can teach when the kids are in school and you're off when they're off, you're off in the summers. Um, you know, nurses who can keep up their certification and work some shifts, that's, that's awesome as well. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the second part of that question, but that's just, that's where I am on it. Unashamedly, I don't apologize for the fact that I am very strongly supportive and I'm so grateful that my daughter who was working as the assistant scheduler to the Senate Majority Leader, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, she stepped away from that the day before her first child was born. People thought she was crazy, like, aren't you going back to work? No, I'm not. And so my son-in-law, you know, worked doing whatever he needed to do, and he had a job that would sustain that, and so she's modeling that as well. We, we don't try to rub people's faces in it who don't do that, but I do make a strong statement for I have absolutely no regret in doing that. Never has there been a time when I thought, man, I wish I'd gone on and gone to medical school. I was a pre-med major, hung all that up, and here I am changing diapers. No, that never crossed my mind. Like, it was a privilege. The, the privilege part is what I think you make so clear, and I think the idea that it's a disposition of the heart in answering those questions because of all the nuancing on something like that. The whole idea is what is the disposition of your heart that you're trying to get up by going to work or by staying home? What are you, what's the end goal in that? That's right. So it's so good. And in our premarital counseling with Brad Wheeler, he really encouraged me just to ask the question of what is best for your family? So there might be a time where what's best for your family is working in the home and only in the home. Mm -hmm. And there also may come a time where what's best for your family is working outside of the home in various There's ways. There's so many creative things that people can do now to where they're not giving half-hearted attention, but they're able to not have to waste time traveling to work if they can work from home in the evenings or when the kids are asleep. And 
Others have excellent, you know, you got family in town where the grandmother, like if they lived in Louisville, you know, and I was able to, you know, take the responsibility on Mondays if Katie had wanted to have a, some kind of a part-time thing. You know, I think that's all very doable, yeah. but knowing my daughter, she wouldn't want to lose 20% yeah. of the work days. Well, again, but that's the heart disposition right. she has. That's yeah, right. For sure. I think we have time for one more question. Okay. In light of the current culture, um, the climate of our culture today, what should we as Christian women be doing, thinking, or speaking to as we navigate between the ditches of either passivity or aggression? When it comes to biblical womanhood. Biblical womanhood. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the times, they are a-changing, as they say, and it's, it's almost happening on a, on a daily pace here, even with our own deno- in our deno- own denomination. And, and so not to be putting out any kind of you know, panic call, but I just feel more convinced than ever that we have got to know where we stand on these issues. Mm-hmm. Are you a complementarian or are you leaning towards the egalitarian method? I mean, which there, some, then there's some kind of middle ground called soft complementarianism that's kind of rearing its ugly head. Like... It, it, you got to know where you stand on that. It, it, I mean, we know where the SBC stands on that. We know what the Baptist Faith and Message says about complementarianism. But, and you may, you know, your husband may be able to articulate a position and then you're kind of like, you don't want to be like that nodding head, like, yeah, what he said, that sounds good. Like, you need to know in your heart where you are on this. Have you really studied these passages? And that's why I can't recommend enough Claire Smith's book. So Aaron took Embracing Femininity, the class that we offer on this topic, what, 20, 15, 20, 15 years ago. ago. We're revamping it for the fall, and I feel so strongly about this that what we're doing is we're just pulling out what we did before. We're just going to plug in Claire Smith's book, and we're going to basically do a book study where Jody Ware, who's been here before, feels very strongly on this topic as I do. We're just going to walk through that book because I've not seen a book that's so clearly just, and you talked about this too, Haley, that just... It doesn't deal with it by topic. It doesn't go off in left field. It just says, let's look at this text. This woman has a PhD in New Testament, but she's a former atheist, former feminist. So that that doesn't hurt. Uh, And and so she's coming into this eyes wide open, but she doesn't write it like an academic work. Like, you know, you and I can read it fine. And it just walks through the text. And every time, and now it's got a study guide that goes with it, all the better. So whatever, whatever text you're looking at, that's not the be-all, end-all. This is the be-all, end-all. And you need to know what this says, and you need to know what you believe about it, and you need to be ready to answer some questions about why you believe that and why it's not cultural and all these arguments that are coming up of, you know, it doesn't really mean that and people who try to make it sound like it's not that important of an issue. It is a secondary issue in tier, tiers of theological triage that my husband has articulated it's not up there with the atonement and the virgin birth and all of that. However, an excellent article that's out this week on the CBMW website articulates so well. It's, and it quotes Mark Dever in there, I think, who says this, that, that even though it's a second order issue, the ties with, with biblical womanhood to the whole, whole issue of biblical authority are there. So when you start deconstructing what the Bible says about biblical roles for men and women, you know, and you try to put that in its own little category. It, it is very much tied to, unlike baptism, where we have disagreements between denominations on that, where we can't be in the same church together. But with biblical womanhood on these issues, we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be in the same church where there is a woman preaching on Sunday morning. But if they have a woman preaching on Sunday morning, then there are also probably some other things that are not far under the surface to where what other things do you not believe are still 
valid are still you know th that are cultural that we can we can get away from so it, it's a very the slippery slope is getting more slippery all the time and I think we need to be you know there are people that want to give you the argument like people are dying without Christ and you want to argue about this if this woman wants to preach the gospel let her preach the gospel that that's a that's a horrible argument but do you have an answer for that what are we going to do? Just try to trick people in, and then once we get them, you know, and they're signed up, then we start teaching them the Bible, and they start reading. And it's like, well, this says I don't permit a woman to teach, but you don't believe that, or it's not, you know. So, so there's stuff coming from both sides on this, and we just need to get our our radar up and just, you know, I know many of you lead very busy lives. You don't have, you know, even a couple hours a week to start studying these issues, but but there are some good condensations, like on the CBMW website. With Claire's book, just reading a little bit at a time, uh, and just pray that the Lord will give you a clear understanding, because that's our job. I mean, we've been bought with a price. We've got this little slice of time, or I repeat myself, but like, don't you want to just do what He's asked us to do and stop arguing about stuff? Well said. Rant over. I love it. <laughs> well, let's give Mary a round of applause. Just thanking her. We're so thankful for you coming Thank and spending you your weekend with me. us. It's More been a to privilege. Come tomorrow. Yes. yes. Yeah, we're looking forward to that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow morning we get to hear from her husband. So, um, and speaking on that, he will be doing a Q&A with Brad at nine in the morning. So we'd love for y'all to come and be a part of that in the main hall. And then he'll be preaching at 1030. So look forward to that. Super. Thank y'all so you much. Thank you very much. And we, uh, to wrap our time up together tonight, today, excuse me, we are going to just spend some time in prayer. So I'm looking forward to this. This will look very similar to our Sunday evening services if you've been a part of one of those. And so I have a few prayer requests written down, and I'm just going to ask a couple people to pray for them. Um, and if you aren't comfortable to come up here, you can just shake your head at me as I say your name. So um, I hope this won't make you shake in your boots. But we have been thinking about a lot of wonderful things of the Lord, about gratitude, biblical womanhood. And we've grown a lot together this weekend, I think. And I'm confident in that. Um, and I'm just reminded in John 15, 5, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so I thought it would be good for us to get to spend some time praying that we can put into practice all the things that we got to learn together this weekend. It seems fitting to do this. And it seems especially fitting that we'd open our prayer with thanksgiving. So let's thank the Lord for allowing us to gather as women, to hear from his word, to pray together and grow together. Um, Karen Chumbo, would you be willing to pray for that when we come up here? Um, and we've also got to hear wonderful teaching from God's word. So we're going to pray that the Lord would bear fruit in our lives, growing us in gratitude and rejoicing in our assignment from the Lord as women. Miss Sarah Gilliland, would you mind to pray for that? Oh, she's shaking. Okay. Maybe Jennifer Geddon, would you be willing to pray for that? Awesome. Thank you. Okay. We've got to meet new people over meals and small groups. Um, and so want to get to pray that the Lord would cause relationships built here to deepen and grow through us showing hospitality. So Lauren Berry, would you be willing to pray for that? Great. Um, we can also pray that these intergenerational relationships 
that we may have got to build in our small groups or just over meals that um, new discipling relationships would start moving forward. Um, Pray we deliberately do spiritual good to one another. Is Evelyn Stillwell still here? Did she have to take off? Oh, well, Logan, would you want to pray for that? (laughs) Great. Um, And for Mary's teaching, we can pray that we as women would be characterized by gracious and natural gratitude. Katie Ann, would you be willing to pray that? Great. Um, We can also pray that we'd let Thanksgiving become the habit of our life. Hannah Arndt, are you still here? Would you want to pray that for? Okay. Um, And then finally, uh, is Kathy Burgess still here? Yay. Um, Would you be willing to pray that we would model gratitude in our homes, our church, and our community? Excellent. Well, if you've agreed to pray, we'll have you come up here and we'll pray on this podium mic together. Um, And we can just form a line and pray one after another. And just like with Sunday evenings, we ask that you pray. Oh, do you need? Yes. I've forgotten already. That's okay. We ask that you pray we and not I, since you're leading us in corporate prayer together. We're not heard because of our many words, so it's okay to pray concisely. And um, as each person finishes praying, it would be wonderful if we would all respond in amen, because we're praying along with them. Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for loving us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for redeeming us from a life of sin and that you would let us come together this weekend to have your word poured over us through Mary. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would sink that word deep into our hearts and it would do a transforming work in us, that we would grow in gratitude because of the work the Word has done this weekend. It's in your name I ask it. Amen. Lord, in your Word, you instruct older women uh, to be reverent behavior and to teach what is good and to train younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. God, we pray that this would be true of us, that would be true of the women of our church, uh, that this weekend as we grew in relationships and with older and younger women, that that would uh, sprout into uh, new discipling relationships, that the older women uh, of our church would teach the younger women how to follow Christ. And then we even just thank you for uh, Mary's reminder that each of us is older than someone else. Um, so help us to not be apathetic in those things um, and to be obedient to what your word calls us to. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Father, Lord, we just praise you for this time that we've been able to have together. Lord, we thank you that, um, Lord, we can learn from your word. Father, we thank you that Mary got to come and teach us, um, Lord, how to be gracious, Lord, how to be thankful, how to be grateful for the things that you have called us to do. Father, I pray that we would um, continue to walk, Lord, in your word, Father, that we would be just women of gratitude, Father, that this would just be out of the overflowing of our hearts. Lord, that we would be um, grateful and joyful to do the things you have called us to do, Lord, in this life, Lord, in our circumstances, Lord. And so um, we just give you praise um, as we have been able to hear from your word this weekend. Amen.
Father, thank you for this weekend and the wonderful teaching that we've had under Mary. And I pray um, for the relationships that have been fueled uh, over meals and small groups, Lord, and that we would be good stewards of that and reach out to those women and encourage them um, and love on them and that you would cause our relationships to grow in hospitality um, and just deeper servants, service and reverence for you. Amen. Lord, again, we're just thankful for your word that you've given to us and the number of times in that word that we're called to give thanks um, to you. So, Lord, we pray that we might bear fruit from what we've learned this weekend, especially in gratitude and thanks, not just for the good things that you've given to us, but for who you are, um, for your attributes that you've given to us, um, that you've um, shown to us. And, Lord, we pray that um, each one of us here will live our lives in the situation that you have assigned to us to to call us to. Um, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Father, we do come to you and we just bless you. Every day, may we bless you, Lord, with all of our soul, with all of our being. May we not forget your benefits, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, who crowns us with steadfast love who redeems our life from the pit, who satisfies us with good things and renews our strength like, this, um, like the eagles. Father, please be gracious to us and show us how we can be uh, grateful throughout our days to not be forgetful creatures or complaining creatures, but to be full of gratitude that we may model that not only in our homes, um, but to our saints who stand with us and also this unbelieving world, um, guide us in that and um, guard our mouths so that we do not um, speak and, and complain, but offer that gratitude throughout our days and weeks. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Lord God, we do ask that you would grow us in Thanksgiving, that, uh, that you would help it to be a habit in each of our lives, Lord. Uh, we ask that you would help us to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And thank you that you have made clear what your will is for us and that we can act out in that, Lord. Amen. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the opportunity to gather together this weekend. We thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you are growing us even now by your spirit, that you're helping to conform us to the image of your son. We pray, Lord, that we would be more like you and less like the world. We pray that as we go out from here, Lord, that you would help for us to um, encourage one another with the things that we've heard this weekend, that we would not forget, but you'd keep them on our minds and on our lips as we um, get to do life with one another from here. Lord, we pray thanking you for the joy of being in your family and being a part of a church that desires to encourage us and to grow us in our relationships with one another. We pray that you would bless um, all of the things that you've imparted to us through your word this weekend. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a few closing announcements. If you'd be willing to help with um, teardown, I feel like that's a cleanup. That's a better word. Um, would love to just, if you have some time, would love some extra hands. It would help us 
greatly. Um, if you're not able to stick around and help, one way that you can, just on your way as you're going, is to just pick up the trash around you and throw it away. So we'd be super grateful for that. And if you're able to stick around and help with cleanup, you can meet me by the kitchen and I can get you some different things to do. Um, and also, I will have some books with me tomorrow morning at church. So if you didn't get a copy, you can find me. I'm, I'll be greeting at the fountain doors tomorrow before the service. So look for me then. And Anna's going to come up and lead us in doxology to close our time. So would you all stand? We'll sing together.